seated. So come, Lord, and speak to us now through the written word of Scripture. Come now, Lord, and speak through the words that I offer and the thoughts that come into our hearts and our minds. And above all, speak to us through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Last Tuesday, the 1st of November, was All Saints Day. In our Methodist tradition, we tend not to keep individual saints' days, but we remember and revere all the saints of God, past and present, living and departed, around this annual festival. In the city of Sheffield, where I now live and where previously I served in two different circuits, there was, however, one saint's day that I often used to remember and to mark. It was the feast of St. Luke, the physician and evangelist, and it was held on the 18th of October. The reason I remember it particularly is because all those who were involved in healing work across the city especially those employed in hospitals and the city's hospice, named after St. Luke, would gather for worship at the cathedral on or around saints, the Saints' Day of St. Luke to affirm God's calling on their lives to healing ministry and to medical practice. And as a part-time chaplain in one of Sheffield's hospitals, I attended that cathedral service on a number of occasions. What that annual act of worship did was something, I think, that was extremely important. It brought together those practicing medicine, or those qualified in a range of different therapies, alongside other people like counselors, social workers, chaplains, volunteer visitors, and many others besides, not to mention patients and families. Through that service, it was possible to declare the reality that it was God who was the source of all healing, no matter what our role in that healing work might be. And also to affirm that God worked through people of different backgrounds, different disciplines, different practices, just as God works to bring about healing through those of different faiths and none. But also I think what was important in that service was that together we were declaring something about God's purpose in healing. And what I think we were seeking to express was to make that most important statement that God's purposes in healing are not just so that you and I might feel better tomorrow than we have done today, but that all of us might come through healing to a place of greater wholeness of life and being, but also that God's healing purposes are not just for us as humanity, 
But God seeks through healing to renew the whole of his creation. That's a perspective that is given to us in that first passage that we heard read from Isaiah 35. It's a passage that speaks of God's coming kingdom, the kingdom that would be revealed when the Messiah came to earth. As well as defeating Israel's enemies, what the Messiah would do would be to restore what had been put right, to, uh, had been wrong, to put right what had been wrong. So in terms of health and wholeness of life, those things that were not right would be made right. So the blind would regain their sight, the deaf would hear, the dumb would speak, the lame would jump for joy. And again here, the prophet makes the point that healing isn't just for humanity, but healing is about the whole of creation. So he goes on to say that the dry and arid places shall suddenly find that they are breaking through with water and irrigation and new life. And that where there has only been barren, arid and desert wastelands, then lush vegetation will start to grow. But Isaiah 35 isn't the only passage in the Bible where we get that kind of perspective given to us. The Bible as a whole shows us that healing is painted on a far bigger canvas than we usually appreciate. And that's a perspective that I want to try and share with you this morning. And I want to just sketch out briefly three aspects of healing that I think make that point. First of all, that healing is central to the Christian gospel. Secondly, that healing is integral to church life. And thirdly, that healing is about the whole of life. Let's take the first of those points, that healing is central to the Christian gospel. In all of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, over a quarter of the content of those gospels put together comprise healing incidents in which Jesus and his disciples are involved. Now, why would that be? Why so much material about healing? Well, it's clear from all the four Gospels that the focus of Jesus' earthly ministry was to proclaim the kingdom of God. That means the coming rule of God in human life and in the whole of the created order. Jesus consistently showed that the kingdom of God was proclaimed in two ways. It was proclaimed in word and it was proclaimed in deed. So going alongside the teaching and the parables of Jesus, the Gospels present to us also the work of Jesus in his life-giving, life-restoring, healing ministry. Word is complemented by deed, and each informs the other. 
The same principle of word and deed going together applies when Jesus sends out on mission the 12 disciples and also, as we heard in our second reading, a larger group of some 70 or 72 followers. To this larger group, Jesus gives a commission similar to the one he had given to the 12. Heal the sick who are there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Notice again, word and deed, or the order is reversed here, deed and word going together. Inseparable elements of proclaiming the kingdom of God. Now, 20 centuries on, we in the church continue what Jesus began with the 12 and the 70 and the 72. Like them, we too are called to be disciples, to be followers. And as a community of faith, our task is the same. It's to proclaim the kingdom of God in word and deed. So healing then is far from being at the edge or the periphery of the gospel. In fact, we see that healing is absolutely central to the gospel. It's right at the heart of what Jesus was about in his ministry. And if it's central to the gospel, it therefore must follow that it has to be also integral to the life of the church as a whole. So that brings me to my second point. Healing is integral to the life of the church. It's nearly 40 years ago now since the Methodist Conference agreed a major statement about the church's healing ministry. Let me just give you a couple of headlines or sound bites from that report that was agreed at the 1977 conference. The church is called to be a community in which the constant, total healing work of the Holy Spirit is taught, sought, and experienced. Healing is the church's normal activity, and all its members are called to be involved in it. Let me just say that again, in case you missed it. Healing is the church's normal activity, and all its members are called to be involved in it. Now, I have to say, when I look around Methodism nearly 40 years on, that's not really worked out like that, has it? It has here, I'm very pleased to say, but it hasn't in a lot of places. In many places, healing is not the normal activity of the church. In fact, it's sometimes regarded with suspicion. And sometimes it's thought to be a kind of peripheral activity, better left to some sort of minority groups or sex, but something that we're not too sure about, maybe shouldn't get involved with. And certainly, not all its members are involved in it, maybe just one or two who are inclined that way. I think it's true to say, in the church as a whole, Healing doesn't sit alongside preaching, 
with word going along with deed, I would venture to say that in our pastoral care ministry, healing doesn't always feature very prominently. And in our social activities like our lunch clubs or our coffee mornings where we meet with people off our church premises, which is a wonderful opportunity for offering healing ministry, my guess is that in most places it just doesn't happen. All of that is one of the main reasons why here at Central Hall we produced an online course called Healing Ministry Explored, which is to encourage churches to look at healing ministry and see that actually, yeah, it is for them. It's also why part of my job description here at Central Hall is to encourage churches in other places to engage with healing ministry and to promote that in the circuits, as I was doing just a fortnight ago in the York Circuit. We do that here from Central Hall because we believe that healing is central to the gospel and it's integral to the life of the church as a whole. But whilst we might pat ourselves on the back for that, I suspect that there's also a challenge here for us too. Could we still be doing more? Are we really taking healing as the normal activity of the church? Are we bringing it into every aspect of church life? Is it truly integral? And do deed and word go together in our proclamation of the kingdom? So healing is central to the gospel. Healing is integral to the church as a whole. And thirdly and finally, that's because healing is about the whole of life. So often I think we have this idea that healing is a kind of an end in itself. You know, if you're not feeling very good one day, or you've got a bit of a, an ache or a pain, or you're feeling a bit low, or you're feeling kind of anxious or worried about something that's going on in your life or in somebody else's life, then you might seek out some healing prayer. And if the pain goes away, and if the problem gets better, and if the issue disappears, and if the fear goes away, and the anxiety levels drop, and the stress and the strain start to recede, then we think that healing has done its job. And in a sense, it has. But healing isn't just an end in itself like that. Healing is also a means to an end. Jesus demonstrated that in his ministry. He showed that healing was a means to an end. The end, which was wholeness of life or eternal life, as John's gospel calls it. He demonstrates that healing was done so that people might be brought into the life of God's kingdom and know life in all its fullness so that they might make real that vision that is captured in Isaiah 35. Jesus was in the business of what life was all about. He said so in different ways. But in John's gospel, he says it quite explicitly in three particular sayings. In chapter 10, he says, I have come that you may have life. Life in all its fullness. 
In the very next chapter, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And in chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus did not see healing as an end in itself, but as a means by which people might come to that wholeness of life that he had come to earth to bring. So when we think about healing for ourselves, it isn't just a question about how am I feeling today? How's the condition that I've got playing me up? What are the issues, the concerns that are bothering me? It's about things that maybe lie much deeper than that within us. I wonder how many of you suffer on a regular basis, perhaps even on a daily basis, from coming to terms with painful memories from the past of things that have happened to you in your life. I wonder what are the things that, as you look back on your life, you deeply regret, the things you wish hadn't happened, the words that you wish had never been said, the relationships you wish had never been broken, the things for which you need God's forgiveness and God's peace. I wonder how you cope daily with the stress and the strain that maybe your job or the situation you're living in brings to you. How do you deal with the pressures that so much of contemporary life throw at us? And how much of your lifestyle and mine truly reflects the values of God's kingdom? And how do our attitudes and our behaviors reveal the life of Christ within us? All of us, myself included, all of us, without exception, have hurts, memories, tensions, anxieties, pressures, stresses, strains, fears that we live with every day. And when we see each other, when we ask each other how we are, we always say, I'm fine. And we may be, but we may be not. There may be a lot that we're hiding beneath that phrase, I'm fine. I'm as guilty as anybody else of saying that. And I guess if we said too much, people would probably stop asking us how we were. But sometimes we can kid ourselves that we don't need healing when we do, that this isn't for me, this is for somebody else, that I can cope with this, I can sort it out, I can deal with it by myself. It may be even that sometimes we look at it as a sign of weakness or as if we don't have enough Christian faith because we need to go to somebody and say what we, our need is and ask them to pray about it. I don't think there's much about the gospel in that kind of thinking. Well, if you're in that kind of situation where deep down you know that you're not fine, even though you tell the world that you are, then you need healing. And there's no shame in that. You see, Healing is far wider than we think. 
And it makes no slur upon our character or our ability or who or what we are. Healing is about life, the whole of life. And nobody knows our needs in life better than Jesus. He knows what we need to overcome those things in life that drag us down, that stop us from living life as it should be, from enjoying that fullness of life that he wants to give to each and every one of us. So let's not stand in the way of God in Christ giving to us the healing and the wholeness of life that he wants us to have. So don't just think that you've got to have some pain or be going to the doctors or referred to the hospital or under a consultant before you can go to somebody and ask for healing prayer. Whatever it is that you feel is a need in your life, whatever it may be that you feel you need God to help you with, then go and seek healing from those who offer it to you. Because healing is central to the Christian gospel. It's there at the very heart of it. Healing is integral to the whole life of the church. And healing is central and integral to the whole of your life too. It's about making your life the life that God wants you to have. So today, and you have two opportunities today, this morning,